Hey, a quick shout out to all those people that have committed to our Making Room campaign, all right? So if you've been here, we are working towards seeing this facility just made a little bit more for our purposes. It was not originally built for us. It was given to us, been a huge gift, but we are stepping in, trying to make this place a little bit more tangible, feasible for us to continue to grow as a body and for us to see more people step here, step into our midst and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the tangible expressions of that was the kids' carpet back in the kids' wing. So if you were here, if this is your first time here, all right, I'm thankful that you never saw what was there before, all right? Ugly, nasty flooring. But as you walk back there, man, I don't know what the security is for this, but I would say just go fill up a cup of coffee and just take a stroll through the kids' wing and just soak in how amazing it is. I love it. I love it. So Thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity. Um, man, just a huge, huge gift to us. Let's, let's continue to step into that. We want to see more people come in here and be just able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? So, hey, we're ending our, our series in the book of Acts this morning. If you can, I would invite you to stand up for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 28. So I added a verse at the very beginning, usually it's in your, your bulletin. There's one verse that it's, I didn't have tacked on at the front, but it's going to be on the screen for you. So um, we're going to read Acts 20, 18, 28, starting in verse 16, where the Lord says this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you, is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Sounds really encouraging. It's going to be a really encouraging meeting right here, right? They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. 
boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we we ask um, that you would use your word to come and speak to us this morning. We are thankful that you are not a God that is far off and impersonal. Rather, you are a personal God who meets with us through opening your word. And we pray that we would experience your presence in our midst as we gather this morning. Please, God, come come work and come speak. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, our oldest just turned four a few weeks ago. Our oldest is Seth, um, and he's at that stage where you are kind of soaking in everything like a sponge. So one of the questions that he's hearing most commonly for us right now is, what did you learn? So when we read a book, when we watch a TV show, when we watch a movie, we're not wanting to be passive in what he's receiving. We're wanting to be active. We want to hear the messages that he's interpreting from these things that he's reading or watching. Um, We want to just know, like, what's your point of view? How are you seeing things? What did you learn? He's also started T-ball. So T-ball practices for us started this last week might be one of the most adorable things that I've ever seen. So a bunch of three and four-year-olds running around trying to learn what it looks like to field a baseball and hit a a ball off of a a tee. It is, I mean, it's just entertaining. I I would suggest if you have kids, try to get them in just so you can laugh a little bit, all right? So after his last practice this last week, the coach gathers all the little kids together and asks what they learned. And there's just crickets until one little kid spoke up and said, baseball, learn baseball, not fielding, not batting. I learned baseball, which is absolutely awesome. When we go pick up our Seth um, from Surgeon Kids, we commonly ask him, what did you learn? And a few months ago, they were working through a lesson on Samson from the Old Testament. And he was stoked. You could tell that the teacher came in, was prepared did a really good job. He was excited to tell us what he learned in class that day. So we asked him, Seth, what did you learn today, buddy? He said, really excited. I learned about a girl and a guy, and he got a haircut. (laughs) And we're like, that is awesome, buddy. I'm so proud of you. That's so good. Was this guy big? Was he strong? And you could tell he's just stopped and thought for a second. And he goes, no, he got a haircut. (laughs) It's like, all right, hey. We can work with that, right? We can work with that. Well, this morning, as we're ending the book of Acts, I want us to stop and ask the question, what have we learned? What has the book of Acts taught us about walking with Jesus? So if you're here with us for the opening of this series, we looked at one verse, Acts 1.8, and it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We explain this verse as the anchor passage for all of the book of Acts. And we drew out three Ps from this verse. The first one was power. The Holy Spirit comes on believers in Jesus with power. The second is purpose. The purpose of the Christian life is to be a witness. And then the third is plan. God's plan for the church is to go to the ends of the earth. And what I want to argue this morning is that 
These three Ps are not just the kickstart for the book of Acts, but it's actually the bookends. This is what we see God doing throughout the book of Acts over and over and over again. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last verse in Acts chapter 28, and we're going to draw these three Ps out again, power, purpose, and plan. And as we do that, I believe we'll answer the question, what have we learned from the book of Acts and walking with Jesus? So the first thing that we learn from the book of Acts is this, that the power of the Holy Spirit is God's driving force for his mission and for the Christian life. The power of the Holy Spirit is the driving force for God's mission and the Christian life. So let's look at the last verse in Acts chapter 28. We're gonna look at a a small portion of this verse to draw that out here. So it's Acts 28, 31 says this. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to just look at the first few words here, boldly and without hindrance, all right? So Paul is in Rome. He's been on a long journey to get here, about three years journey. And here's what his journey has looked like. Starts in Acts 21. He's arrested in Jerusalem. He's been sharing the gospel and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are absolutely furious. And so they throw a huge, huge riot and Paul is arrested. Later in Acts 23, Paul stands on trial before these very Jewish leaders called the Sanhedrin, and he stands trial for what he believes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Later on in Acts 24, we see him appear before the governor Felix. So he stands before Felix, shares his story. And what we see is Governor Felix doesn't find anything at fault in him, but keeps Paul in prison for two years. The governor turns over. We see another governor, Governor Festus. In Acts 25, Paul again stands before Festus, giving account. And again, there's nothing found wrong with Paul, but he's a, he appeals to Caesar, so he's going to Rome. He, he appears before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Again, Agrippa says, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. If he hadn't appealed before Caesar, he could have been let, set free. But here we go. Paul's going to Rome. He hops on a ship in Acts 27, and we see Paul goes through this dramatic shipwreck. He lands on this island called Malta, and while he's there in Acts 28, he gets snake bitten, all right? There's a venomous snake. Paul's putting together this fire for his whole crew, and there's a snake in the brush that he has, and he goes to set it on, and the the fire's too hot. Snake comes out, bites Paul in the arm, and they basically think he's a ticking time bomb. They think he's going to fall over dead at any moment, but he doesn't. God preserves his life, and he makes his way to Rome. Finally, three years, three years, Paul gets to Rome, and here we see that he is in Rome boldly and without hindrance proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. When we commonly hear this, I think we usually say something to the effect like this, wow, Paul, he's so strong, man. What, what a saint. What a, what a pioneer for the Christian faith. That, man, he's so, so strong, right? But what I want to argue here is that boldly and without hindrance isn't talking about the strength of Paul. It's referring to the power of the Holy Spirit. If we look back on the gospel or on the book of Acts, 
I think we'll see that Paul really isn't as strong as you think he is. So I got three instances to try to show you that, all right? So Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth. He's just left this place called Thessalonica. He was sharing the gospel with Jewish leaders. Again, they get mad. They start a riot in the city. It could become so dangerous that they have to literally sneak Paul out of the city. He leaves his disciples, his friends behind so that he can get out of the city and preserve his life. And he lands in Corinth. So again, Paul is preaching the gospel to the Jews. And what we see there is that the Jewish leaders oppose Paul and they become abusive, physically abusive. And this is what we read in Acts 18. After all of this has happened, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid. What he's basically saying, Paul is terrified here, all right? He's fearful, just like you and I are. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Paul's fear was crippling to the, the point where he wasn't even sharing, he wasn't talking about Jesus. Jesus says, for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Fast forward to Acts 23, where Paul is before the Sanhedrin. He's standing there. He's testifying to his beliefs. And what the Bible says is the Sanhedrin breaks out in a great uproar. Luke records that their dispute becomes so violent that the Roman commander that's overseeing Paul has to rescue Paul because he's afraid that Paul's going to be torn to pieces by these Jewish leaders. They have an anger problem, to say the least. And so Paul is saved from their midst, and here's what we read in Acts 23. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, meaning Paul was terrified. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And then we see, just like last week, Acts 27, Paul is on a ship, he's headed towards Rome, and we see that this ship encounters a, a massive storm, hurricane-like storm. And we read Luke's account of this storm here. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we, including Paul, finally gave up all hope of being saved. Paul thought he was going to die on that boat. But the angel of the Lord appears to him, and this is what Paul says, last night, an angel of the God whose I am and who I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So when we stand back and we look at the whole of the book of Acts, we see that Paul really isn't as strong as we often make him out to be. But the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is strong. He's the one that gives Paul courage, that allows him to stand before large Jewish councils, before worldly leaders, and testify about the good news of Jesus Christ and the work that has happened in his life. The Holy Spirit is the one that is the power, the driving force for God's mission in the Christian life throughout the book of Acts. It's not Paul, it's not Peter, it's not the apostles, 
There, yes, there is some strength in them, but we see time and time again that it's the Holy Spirit that is the one that is doing the work throughout the book of Acts, not the apostles, not the Christian leaders. On our good days, we look back on these stories in the book of Acts and we think, man, what an inspiration. I wanna be like Paul, I wanna be like Peter, I wanna have their courage. On our worst days, these stories become discouragements to us. I can never be like Paul. I can't go to the ends of the earth. I can't be like Stephen, look death in the face and stand before God and know that I'm gonna hold it together. But here's the thing. These guys weren't strong enough to do it either. It was the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that was working in their lives that allowed them to move forward in these times, these difficulties in their life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in these men. It's not their own personal strength. The Holy Spirit is the one that is powerful. So if you stand back and you say, all right, the power of the Holy Spirit is the one that is empowering us for the Christian life, then how do I access this power, right? It's the next logical question. How do I access this power? The Christian life is hard. Can I get an amen? All right, some of you think the Christian life is hard. Some of us, we know the reality of it, I guess. So Jesus gives us the warning of this. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this about the Christian life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. The Christian life is hard. So how do we access this power for the Christian life? Well, I think we need to step back from the book of Acts and look at the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter nine, we see the life of Jesus as an example of how we access this power, all right? So we gotta realize this. Jesus is fully God, yes, but Jesus is also fully man. When he came to earth, he put on human flesh, and he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live, meaning that he had no other resources at his disposal outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like you and me, Jesus moved forward in this life. Yet he kept all of God's commands. He was perfect. That's why he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. So how did Jesus access this power? How can we follow his example? The Mount of Transfiguration is our example. So Jesus has just spent some time on the mount. He's been thinking on, reflecting on scripture, spending time with God, talking with him in prayer. And he heads back down the, the hill, the mountain, and he finds his disciples with this boy that has an unclean spirit. And they've been trying to free this little boy of this unclean spirit, but have been unable to do so. And so Jesus steps in, heals this little boy of the unclean spirit, and later his disciples come back to him and ask, why weren't we able to get this boy healed? Why couldn't we cast out that unclean spirit? And what we see is Jesus tells his disciples that this kind of unclean spirit can only come out by prayer. But if you look at this whole entire story, Mark chapter nine, Jesus doesn't pray whenever that unclean spirit comes out. So what in the world is going on here? How in the world, if Jesus says that can only, this unclean spirit can only come out by prayer and he didn't even pray and he lives just as you and I do in the power of the Holy Spirit, then how in the world does he cast out 
that prayer. One Christian author says the point of that passage is this. The point seems to be that the effects of his earlier time with God gave Jesus power for the tasks ahead of him. We carry the effects of our communion, our time with God, into our daily tasks. If you want to access the power of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit, you spend time with God. You spend time with God. You get alone with him. You get alone with his word. You open it up. You learn about Jesus. You talk with Jesus. You ask for the strength that only comes from him. And what happens, I, I don't know the science behind this, but the power of the Holy Spirit enables you for the tasks that are ahead of you for that day. I don't know about you all, but whenever I am not spending time with God, I see a noticeable difference in my life, maybe even more so in my family, all right? Whenever I, I'm not in the Word, when I'm not spending time with God, my, my kids, if they could testify to this, would say, Daddy probably becomes a little more impatient. I'm easily frustrated. I get really discouraged. I get into funks that sometimes last a month and are really hard for me to come out of because there is a lack of tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit by me spending time with God. If you want to access the power of the Holy Spirit, you go and you spend time with your Father who is in heaven. Now, I think typically this is where we get kind of down on ourselves. all right? This is where guilt starts to creep in, all right? The list of shoulds and oughts really start to creep into our life. So this is a, a little list. You can laugh with me a little bit, all right? We, we can laugh at ourselves here, but this is kind of what we say to ourselves. I should be waking up a little bit earlier so I could open up my Bible, spend time with God before I go to work. I should be reading Christian books more. That, there's a huge list of Christian books that are out there that are at my disposal. Man, I am weak in so many areas. I need to be drawing in from the wisdom of other Christian leaders so I can know how I can live in fullness with Christ. I should be praying more with my spouse. I should be praying with my kids more. Man, I should just be praying for my kids more. I should be leading my family and what it looks like to open up the Bible. We should talk about it more in our families, Right? Anybody else have those conversations? Just me? Man, what I want to say to this, what I want to say to that is this. The Christian life isn't a pile of obligations, but a series of invitations. The question of the Christian life isn't, what is my obligation? The question of the Christian life is, where is God's invitation? Now, the reality here is the list may not really change of spending time with God, prayer, reading books, all these things. But what I think happens whenever you view these as invitations rather than obligations is a change of heart. Our motivation changes. They're no longer obligations. They're now a delight. God wants to be with me. The God of the world who spoke creation into existence wants to know me and he wants me to spend time with him. And when we step into that, we access the power of the Holy Spirit. First thing that we learn in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is the power, the driving force for God's mission in the Christian life. We can access that power by spending time with him. The second thing that we learn in the book of Acts is this, that the purpose of the Christian life 
is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to that last verse. Acts 28, verse 31 says this, boldly and without hindrance, Paul did this. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, boldly and without hindrance, is witnessing in Rome. And what we see 30 years before this is a dramatic encounter in Paul's life. So Paul was formerly Saul, and he was on a mission to completely eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth. Acts chapter 9 says that he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, meaning that every second of Saul's life was dedicated to killing Christians and Christianity. But something happened on the road to Damascus, a, day, or a week's journey from Jerusalem, that changed the entire course, the entire trajectory of Paul's life. And what I would say is at this road to Damascus where he meets Jesus, the purpose of his life changes. It's no longer eradicating Christianity, but taking it to the ends of the earth. What happens on that road is Paul experiences a Jesus that is too good not to share. And that is our natural inclination that whenever we experience something that is good, we go and we tell other people about it. So last August, I, I brought an example of something like this for us, all right? So it was July, midsummer, dead heat. I mean, just extremely hot. My wife and I go out to our Toyota RAV4 we turn on the car, we crank up the AC, and all of a sudden there's some plastic pellets that are coming out of our, our AC unit. I mean, we have no idea. That's not normal, right? I, I don't know anybody that goes starts their car and plastic pellets are coming out of the AC unit. Well, what we found is there was a mouse that was trapped inside our little air vent there. And I'm, I'm bringing this story up again because it happened a second time for us. It happened a second time. What is going on? Why in the world is there mouse, mice getting into our car? So last time I talked about it, y'all didn't believe me. So here's, here's a picture, all right? You can see the little brown body in there. So what you can't see right there is there's, it's kind of like a honeycomb right there that's keeping the whole thing together. And that mouse had chewed through the honeycomb and gotten stuck. So I guess it had swallowed some of those plastic pellets and expanded to where he couldn't get back through. So he's stuck there. And I have no idea how to get this mouse out, okay? I have no idea. So the, I, I get the manual open. I'm looking. You have to take the entire dashboard apart just to get into that little area. And I have no idea how to do that. I am car dumb. I have no idea how to do that. So what do I do? I just start calling Toyota dealerships across the city of Louisville. And I am getting the runaround, y'all. They have no idea what to do with me. They don't believe me that there's a mouse stuck in my AC unit there. So I get transferred and transferred and transferred. And then suddenly I would hear the, the phone click. They just dropped me because they had no idea what to do with me. Until I called the Toyota dealership on Dixie. And so I finally get transferred to a technician and he's on his day off. He's in there because he's working on his own car. And he tells me to bring my car in. So I bring my car in. I'd pull in and sure enough, yeah, I was right. There's a mouse stuck in our little vent. And so what he does is he takes care of it for me. On his day off, he spends his time, he gets the mouse out, he 
completely uh, sanitizes the whole entire thing because mice are disgusting and we have little kids in our car and I don't want mice germs blowing all over my family, right? So he goes in and he completely sanitizes the whole entire car and he does it for free. He didn't charge me. On his day off, he's in there working on his own car and he doesn't charge me a dime to take care of my car. So you know what I did that next week? I took that picture, this very picture, and I went to all the Sojourn offices and I showed them this mouse that got stuck in my car and I told them about the Toyota dealership on Dixie Highway and the service that I got from them. It is natural that when we experience something good that we go and we tell anybody that we possibly can about it. Now, if I go and tell Toyota dealership to all the people that I'm working with, how much more so should we be telling people about the goodness of Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He came and lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. But even more so than that, he went and died in our place. The Bible says that while we were still enemies, Jesus went to die for us. That's the love. That's the extent to which he is willing to go to show you how much he loves you. And just as he predicted, three days later, the grave could not contain him. He was resurrected from the grave. He became our hope. If Jesus was still in the grave, our hope is useless. It's a waste. But Jesus isn't in the grave. He is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he is king of the universe. And what that means for you and me is that death will not have the final say in our life. And when we experience something that good, we have to, have to go tell somebody about it. That's exactly what Paul does. It's exactly what Paul does. He's experienced a Jesus that is too good not to share. So I think there's two natural questions. All right, if I'm, I'm to be a witness of Jesus, the first question is how? What am I to do? How, how am I to be a witness of Jesus? Well, I think Acts 28 through the life of Paul shows us what that is to look, for, look like for us. So, we see first here, Acts 28, 23. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. So what did Paul do to be a witness? He preached the kingdom of God and he teaches Jesus Christ. So here, here's the first thing that you need to realize how you step into being a witness. You open up the Bible and you talk with others about Jesus. This is what Paul did. You can look throughout his life in the book of Acts and he would just open up the Old Testament and he would talk about Jesus with those people that were in his midst. So he would start with Abraham, the one that God chose and promised that there would be a large nation that would come from him. He would move to Exodus where God's people grew in number while they're in Egypt and God, he frees them from the captivity that they're in in Egypt through miraculous signs and in miraculous ways. Then he moves to the judges, where God is to be their king, but they reject him and they want a worldly God. And so then he moves to the King David, the greatest king that Israel has ever experienced. And then he, from King David, he works through the lineage and shows how Jesus has come from David's line, proving that Jesus is the Messiah that God promised from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. So I'm on staff here, all right? One of my responsibilities is community groups here. So I, 
I can't end a sermon without talking about community a little bit, all right? So we're gonna talk about community for a second. This is exactly what we're trying to do in our community groups. We write questions that are based on passages, not sermons that are preached on Sundays so that we can gather all across the city in homes that meet geographically where you live so you can come in and we can open up the Bible and we can talk about Jesus. And there's an open invitation to all these community groups. None of them are closed. So here's the opportunity that we have. We can invite people into these safe spaces, into people's homes where we're opening the Bible and we're talking about Jesus. And as we do that, I think Jesus is somebody that people want to know. And as they encounter that Jesus, I I think they're at least gonna have questions. They're gonna wanna know more. And we can step in and we can teach them, we can share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So the first thing about being a witness is you open open up your Bible and you talk about Jesus with people. The second thing that you see here is that Paul preaches the kingdom of God. And what you see here with Paul is that Paul shared God's kingdom through his story, all right? The reason he does this is because anytime the kingdom of God is referenced in the New Testament, it's not talking about land or property or even people. The kingdom of God is about authority or rule, the sovereignty of the king. One Christian author puts it like this. The kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, his authority. Jesus said that we, tr- we must receive the kingdom of God. So what is received? Is it the church? Is it heaven? No. What is received is God's rule over our lives. And that's exactly what you see with Paul in Acts chapter nine as he's on that road to Damascus. Jesus interrupts Paul's life and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what's the the stature, the, the place that Paul is at? He's on his knees he says, who are you, Lord? Jesus replies, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. And on that very day, the kingdom of God was received in Paul's life because Paul recognized Jesus as Lord. Jesus had sole rights to Paul's life. He's the one that called the shots. And every single time that someone believes in Jesus, accepts his rule in their life, they are accepting the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is inhabiting this world through his people. So how do you share the kingdom of God? You share your story. Share your story. Some of us think our stories are lame, right? Like, man, God saved me at the age of eight and there's really nothing that was really Nothing gripping that really happened. I, I want to argue against that, all right? So I accepted Christ whenever I was eight. Um, I, I used to go into services on Sundays. My dad was a, a, a pastor, so I was obligated to be there, honestly. So I would go to services, and I would just color. I had a coloring book that I would take in, and I would color these pages. But there was one Sunday where I listened to the sermon, and God captured my heart and he showed me that there was no way that I would be with God forever unless I recognized Jesus as my Lord. And I don't know about you at the age of eight, but if I were to grasp anything at the age of eight, it was a miracle, all right? 
And for whatever reason, God divinely interrupted my life at the age of eight, and he saved me. The kingdom of God came into this world as I received it. Some of you think your past is too jacked up for you to share. Well, here's what I want to say. God gives us different stories because different people need different expressions of God's kingdom, different ways that God's kingdom has come in and inhabited this world. Some people need to see that Jesus is all that you need because Jesus is all that you had. So if you are in an adulterous relationship, if you are stealing from work or you're addicted to different substances, God gave you that story to show somebody that you can hit rock bottom and that Jesus is all that you need. Every time that you and I share our story, God is doing a unique work where he is expressing the way that the kingdom of God has come in and inhabited the world. So how are we to be witnesses in the world? We open up the Bible and we talk about Jesus. And then secondly, we share our story. Share our story. I think the second logical question here is this. All right, then where? Where am I to go? Who am I to share? Who am I to be a witness to? Well, again, I think we see some answers here in Acts chapter 28. So what we see, Paul is under a house arrest here, right? Acts 28, 16. When we got, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself. But recognize this, with the soldier to guard him. Paul had a constant rotation of Roman guards that were coming in his house where he was under house arrest. And so Paul was sharing the gospel with these Roman authorities that were coming into his house. He was sharing it over and over and over again. He was opening up the Bible. He was talking about Jesus and he was sharing his story. The second kind of dimension of Paul's life that we see is Acts 28, 30. For those two whole years, while Paul stayed there in his own rented house, he welcomed all who came to see him. So Paul had guests that were coming in. He was opening his house that he was renting. He's being hospitable. People were coming in. And again, he was opening the Bible. He's talking about Jesus, and he was sharing his story. Paul had limited opportunities while he was in Rome to share the good news of Jesus Christ but what we see is in the book of Philippians, there is a movement that starts throughout Rome because of what God is doing, the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in Paul. We read that in Philippians 1. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, all the Roman guards that were coming into his house, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers, the guests that would come to see him in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly because of me in chains. Paul was faithful in the limited opportunities and the dimensions that he was given to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And it starts a movement throughout the city of Rome. So we started this series off with three things that we were wanting to pray for, and the first one was this, that all would go, that all would go. Now, some of us, that's just here, the city of Louisville. Some of us, that's the ends of the earth. But what I want to argue for is that there are three dimensions that you and I are going to occupy no matter where we are in this life. 
The first one is this, the location, where you live, your home, your kids, your spouse, and the neighbors that live around you, all right? You don't live where you are. You don't have the family that you have in happenstance. God ordained that the family that you have would be the family that you have, and the neighbors that live next to you are the ones that live next to you. God is inviting you in. It's, remember, not a pile of obligations here. This is a tool for us to see different ways that we can step in and witness. God gave you your family. He gave you your home, your neighbors for a reason so that we can be a witness of Jesus Christ. The second dimension is this, vocation, where we work. So the people that work next to you in your cubicle or wherever you're at, those aren't people that are just there by chance. God has placed them around you for a reason so you can be a witness of Jesus Christ. If you're in school, God has placed those peers that sit around you for a reason so you can be a a witness of Jesus Christ. The third one is recreation, where we rest or where we play. So where you work out, if you do that kind of thing. (laughs) The, The sports teams that you play on here in the city or the sports teams that you support here in the city or the sports teams that your kids play on here in the city, the book clubs that you're a part of, whatever you go and you do for fun, God has given you those desires. He's put you in those places so that you can share and be a witness of Jesus Christ. We need to be constantly looking for opportunities, people in need as we are stepping into these dimensions in order that God can do a good work through us. We're constantly taking people with us, disciples, people that are growing in the faith with us so that they can see what it looks like to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. So here, here's just like one example for you, all right? So you can walk in here on Sunday mornings and I believe that you can be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. We have 230 kids that are typically here on Sundays back in Sojourn Kids. And they are working, they're opening up the Bible, they're talking about Jesus, and then you have opportunities to share your faith. And what I love about Sojourn Kids, every single time that we do a student baptism, every single time, y'all, when a baptism testimony is read for one of these students, one of the teachers is either physically present on the stage reading their testimony or their name comes up as a person that was a huge influence for their conversion and coming to know Jesus Christ. Every single time. So here's what I'm saying. You can be a faithful witness by serving and sojourn kids on a weekly basis. God will use you opening the Bible, talking about Jesus, and sharing your story to bring people to faith, even kids. You can step into this. You can be a faithful presence. And here's what I would argue, all right? Whenever we step into this, I think there's an unexplainable joy that comes over our life. Just this last year, Pastor Dan and his wife, Christy, were able to lead a a couple from overseas to faith in Jesus. So what they were doing is they were opening the Gospel of John. They were talking about Jesus from the Gospel of John. They would meet, they'd have meals together in each other's homes, and they would share each other's lives with one another. And they came to faith. And I saw him on a Sunday, and he said, Josh, I'm, I'm so excited about my relationship with Jesus right now. I want 
what I experienced right now with Jesus to be my norm and not my exception. And here's what I think was happening in Pastor Dan and any of us when we experience seeing somebody come to faith and we get to walk and journey with them. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. So when we share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody, we're bringing praise to his name. We're talking about how good he is. He is too good not to share. And when we do that and people respond, it's not just an expression of what we enjoy, and that's Jesus. I believe there's a completion that is brought to our enjoyment of Jesus. And that's why Pastor Dan, and that's why us, when we step into this and we are faithful witnesses, there's an unexplainable joy that comes over our life. That's what God is inviting you into. When we, we occupy our dimensions and we are faithful witnesses and people come to faith, there is an unexplainable joy, an enjoyment of God that cannot be expressed or explained in any other way than that we got to share, complete our joy in Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see in the book of Acts is that we, our purpose in the Christian life is to be a faithful witness. It just happens by opening up the Bible, talking to people about Jesus, and sharing our story. And as we do that, there's gonna be an unexplainable joy that happens in your life. The third thing that we learn in the book of Acts is this, that God's plan for the church is to go to the ends of the earth. We're gonna kind of land here, or heading the plane down, we're gonna land here. So Paul is in Rome, right? He's in Rome. And if you were a Hebrew or a Jew at that point in time, it was believed that Rome was as far as you could possibly go. It was the ends of the earth. Now, if you're a Gentile and that's not what you held, it was said that Rome, that Rome held a, a road to anywhere that you wanted to go throughout the whole entire world. If you wanted to get to any place in the whole entire world, Rome had a road that led to that place. So at, at the greatest extent, Acts 1.8 is completed here. At the least, God is proving that his promise is going to hold true, that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. Right? So, all right, we're wrapping it up here. Like, Paul is in Rome. He's boldly proclaiming there's no hindrance to the gospel that's being shared there. This is a, a book that's written for Theophilus. Theophilus is this guy that Luke is communicating with back and forth. He writes the gospel of Luke to Theophilus, sharing the good news of Jesus. Now he's sharing the movement of God that's happening throughout the world. But what, what we see here is there's really no ending to the book. There's really no ending. Paul is boldly and without hindrance, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching others about Jesus Christ. There's really no ending. It's left open. If you're Theophilus, you're like, dude, Luke, where's the, where's the bow that you're putting on this thing, right? Like he ends the gospel of Luke with this really good, concise summary of what's happened. And, it, and it's a nice little neat bow for us. So it, it reads like this. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, that's Jesus, he lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. It's a good little bow. 
Luke puts a good little bow at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Why not at the end of Acts? Because the last chapter is still being written. The last chapter of the book of Acts is still being written. I think Paul or Luke leaves the book of Acts open-ended because he wants us to ask this question, answer this question with our life. Am I going to step in and participate in the plan? God's plan is that the church would go to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is left open because he wants us to ask the question, am I going to step in? Am I going to participate in the plan? One of my favorite Sundays that we do here is Baptism Sunday. And I love those Sundays because of this, that every single time someone is baptized, they're responding to that question with a resounding, yes, I'm stepping in to participate in God's plan. And one of the recent baptism testimonies that were read here, I think embodies the three Ps, the power, purpose, and plan of the book of Acts. And I want us to close with this, all right? So find the three Ps with me in this baptism testimony. I grew up going to church every Sunday, but I never looked forward to going. I was a hard-headed kid and wanted to do things my way. I heard many sermons, but never truly listened. They often went right over my head or made me feel bad about my life. I never prayed. I had no Christian friends. I drank alcohol excessively. I did all these things because I was lost. I was always taught to avoid vulnerability or showing signs of weakness. But nothing eased my mind like the first time I truly talked to God. I told him everything and prayed for forgiveness for my many years of rejection and sin. I thanked him for never leaving my side, no matter how far I wavered. And here's the first P. And for the first time in my life, I felt his presence. The power of the Holy Spirit came down on him. He felt his presence. I understand that the obstacles in my life will not end. I know there are people that look up to me and have questions. And here's the second P. I want to be a witness. The purpose of the Christian life. I want to be a witness. And then the third P. I want to be a witness to those people and the many others that I encounter on a daily basis, the ends of the earth, occupying his dimensions. I'm so thankful that I can stand here today knowing the love and forgiveness of Jesus. I love Baptism Sundays for us that have already accepted Christ too because they are a constant reminder to us of the answer that we gave to that closing question in the book of Acts, am I gonna participate in the plan? When we were baptized, we said with a resounding yes, and God continually keeps calling us back to that plan every single time that we do a baptism Sunday here. Are you gonna participate in the plan? Are you gonna participate in the plan? So what have we learned in the book of Luke, or the book of Acts? We've learned three things. The power of the Holy Spirit is the driving force for God's mission in the Christian life. We can access that power by stepping in and spending time with him. The second one is this. The purpose of the Christian life is that we would be a faithful witness. We have the word of God. We can open the Bible and talk, talk with people about Jesus. He's given us a story to share about how God's kingdom has come and entered this world. We can share our stories. And as we step into our dimensions, we'll receive 
this unexplainable joy in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Will you participate in the plan? Let's pray.